Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. The shepherds of Israel. The shepherds of Israel. The kings, I think, of Israel. Um, God had said to David that he would set a... a a king on his throne after him. His son would be a king on his throne forever. And and the the shepherd of Israel was supposed to be one who would care for the sheep. And it tells us there in the Ezekiel passage, he would bind up wounds. He would heal people. He would uh, would seek after the lost. and, And yet none of the kings of Israel were able to do that. They were all men. They never lived up to what the son of David was supposed to be. And so God, after the, the um, exile into Babylon, tells Ezekiel, I'm coming. I'm coming to get you. I'm going to come and I'm going to take care of my sheep. Those shepherds, they failed. I'm going to come and I am going to bind up the wounds. I am going to heal the brokenhearted. I am going to do all that. And he says that there will be one flock and one shepherd. Um, in Ezekiel's context, you had Israel and Judah that had been separated since the time of Rehoboam. And so Ezekiel's people probably thought that that means that the, the uh, Israel and Judah will be reunited whenever there's one shepherd and one flock. But when, when we look at that as a New Testament perspective, we know that's probably more like about Jew and Gentile, about race. We are all bound together as brothers and sisters in Christ as one shepherd and one flock. Amen. Amen. He is the one who came and sought after the lost. He is the one who came and healed the brokenhearted. Well, our text today, It uses this same imagery of a shepherd who goes after his sheep. And I think um, Jesus didn't use this imagery as an accident or as an afterthought. And I think he's picking up on the imagery that we see there in the Old Testament. Let's go ahead and read our text beginning in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 18. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? If he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of the least of these little ones should perish. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you 
that you overcome all of our rebellion and our sin. Lord, you come after us with a relentless pursuit and you will not let us go. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to obey and understand. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. My first comment that I think I need to start with is if you are paying close attention to your text and the text that I read, um, if anyone has the King James, you may see something that I left out in my reading. I don't know. But in the ESV and probably most modern translations, when you come to, it has verse 10 and then it skips to verse 12. There's no verse 11. Why is that? Well, um, we are our uh, Bibles we got through a process of transmission. And uh, what they have today, what we have today in the manuscripts, we have many, many more manuscripts than they had at the time of the translation of the King James Bible. And uh, um, the goal and the, the aim of the translators of the ESV and other modern translations, I don't believe, was to try to take something out of the New Testament. I think what they actually determined was they believe that most likely from the evidence of the texts, uh, of the texts that we have, that what verse 11 was, was probably not originally in the origin. So um, here's the question. There, in Revelation, it tells us those who take away from the prophecies will be um, um, in danger of judgment. But it also says those who add to. So which are we doing here? There is an important necessity that we actually work to try to find what the original is. If the original did not have that line, that verse 11, then... Um, then we would be adding two to include it. Regardless, one way or the other, I believe probably what happened was that the verse 11 that we don't see in the text that I am preaching from today is probably found in another place. And what I think probably happened was that when the scribe was transcribing uh, from one manuscript to another, he saw, oh, that's not there. Oh, I remember it. It's got to be there. And he wrote it down because he was probably remembering that it was in another passage. Does that make sense? So that's, that's what I think probably happened. Now, I, I just say that to comment on this because I, I, I want you to know that I believe that the Bible is God's word. Every word, every line is God's word. It, in, and in its original manuscripts, it is perfect in every way. And I believe that we can trust what our Bibles say. Uh, we don't have to have any kind of distrust. Um, the fact is, these are not hidden things, but these are things that we know about, scholars know about. Uh, many times whenever a child grows up in a church where we don't even talk about these things, they may go off to college someplace where they don't believe the Bible, and they'll find out about these these textual variants and things, and it'll have their their faith shaken because they're never talked about. And they think, well, I never knew that. 
Well, this unbelieving scholar knows about it, then he must be right. Well, we need to talk about those things so that our children, when they go off to college or into the world and they hear about these things, their faith is not shaken. Because they know, oh yes, Christians understand the process of what we call textual criticism. So, that's just a side comment. Let's get into the text. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Now, who's these little ones that he's talking about? Remember, two weeks ago, we looked at the story of how Jesus brought a little one among them, and he said that in order to be in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, someone has to become like this little child, has to humble himself like this little child. And so that's the, the, the kind of child that Jesus is talking about. But he's not specifically talking about a literal child. He's talking about believers. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. He's talking about the one who becomes like a child. The one who becomes a child. So all of us believers, if you are trusting in Jesus, this is talking about us. We are not to be despised. Now he's speaking to his disciples. Is it a temptation sometimes of ours to look at other Christians and look down on them? Yet Jesus said what we would be known by is our love for one another. And I think when Jesus here says that we are not to despise one of these little ones, we are to love one another. Not to despise. Just because other believers are different in different ways, whether it be socioeconomic, whether it be racial, whether it be any other class that you might think of, we are brothers, we are sisters, we are a family, and we are not to despise one another for any reason. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For, he tells us the reason. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about angels. And we may understand this to be, and I don't know, we don't have a fully developed doctrine of angels here in the Bible. But it seems like it sounds like that, that angels um, are caring for us. And what does Paul tell us about angels? They're ministering spirits who, who, who minister to the saints. And so these angels, the believers' angels, see the face of God. Now, I don't want to f- develop any kind of fully orb doctrine about that, but in some sense, Jesus here is telling us the re- one reason why we are not to despise one another is, as believers is that the, the angels are, inter- are pleading with God for us. That, 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 they, 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 that God is... is uh, and the angel seems to complicate this a little bit because we don't know a whole lot about the angels. But 
God cares about each and every one of us. And, and God knows what's going on in our lives. He, he, he does not even let a sparrow fall without His knowledge of it. And how much more does He care about His children? Those who have become like children in, by faith in Jesus. Verse 12. Again, I'm already commented on that. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go and search for the one that went astray? We see the same parable in Luke, a more extended version. It, it has, uh, it, this is very short. It's only about, it's just all contained within two verses. The logic here, it seems that Jesus is saying that it would be normal for the shepherd. I mean, what do you think, he says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? It would make sense. He's saying that's what you do if you're a shepherd. You go. You go and find them. You don't leave them to... To, to wander and go astray and be lost. Every single sheep matters. So Jesus, as, as I think we see from Ezekiel, Jesus is like that shepherd. He is the one who came. We are lost without Him. We were lost and he left heaven to come and find us, to come after us. He risked peril. I mean, he went to the cross. People beat him. People mocked him. People hung him on a cross. He did that all so that he might save us. He went to great lengths to come and seek after us. Verse 13, and if he finds it, and if he finds it, I say to you, he rejoices over that one more than the 99 who never went astray. The thing is, all of us are that one. He compares this to the 99 who never went astray, but all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot sit here and, and be safe in our church and think, well, we're the 99 who never went astray. No, we were all that one. We were all that one. And Jesus came, he left heaven and came for us. He came for you. He came for you. He left heaven and came for you. And He would have done it if it was just for you because you're His child. You're His sheep. He loved the sheep so much that He came and laid His life down for us. 
So who are these 99? (laughs) The Bible talks about elect angels. Those angels who never fell. That's the only one I can think of. Because he didn't leave heaven for the sake of the fallen angels. But he left heaven for the sake of humanity. For the sake of his chosen people, you and me. He went after us. He put himself at risk. Well, again, we speak in analogies. I can't really say he put himself at risk because he is sovereign. This was his plan. He knew how it was all going to turn out. Nothing could have gone differently than what he planned. But from our feeble human perspective, he put himself in front of a gun. He put himself in front of torture and execution because it was headed for us and he took our place. He took our place. Verse 14, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that, the, it, that one of these little ones should perish. These believers, these believers, these little ones, the ones who have become like children, it is not the will of my Father that any one of these little ones, believers, should perish. Just like what we read today in our responsive reading, there may be times when we stray again as believers. There may be times when we start to wander. Because like like the song that we sometimes sing, uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for Thy courts above. We so often wander even as believers. And what does He do? He keeps coming after us. He keeps coming after us. He doesn't let us go. We may wander for a time, but He's going to keep on pursuing us. He may convict our consciences. And He will still keep alive what what we said, we talked about in the last week's responsive reading, there will still be a love for the brethren. We will still love one for one another. Even if in our lowest spots as believers, when we, if we're truly believers, now I'm not talking about someone who may walk down an aisle and say a prayer and walk out completely unchanged. But someone who truly has been born again may reach a time in their lives whenever they are away from the Lord. But yet God will keep alive even that love for the brethren. God will keep alive just a spark of faith and He will not extinguish it. Because He will not let us go. He will not let us perish. Jesus 
is our great and sovereign King who loves us. He loves His sheep. He loves His people. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ today, it's because He came from heaven to get you. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ today, He will keep you to the very end. He will not let you go. It is not His will that any of the least of these little children should perish. And so, Jesus loves the little children. He loves you. And He loves me. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.